You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Andrew Jacobson. Hi. How are you? I'm doing all right, George. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and if you want what you do professionally? Sure. Uh, my name is Andrew Jacobson. Everybody calls me Drew. Um, former owner, um, collaborator on Drew's Chili Company. Um, formed um, Heartbreak Farm with my partner, Steve Best. Um, in, uh, 2019 of January, um, professional chef as well, avid gardener and world traveler. Yeah. From what I've heard from, uh, Steve, uh, which is like the other half, he was more of the marketing side of things, kind of being able to get a lot of exposure. You're more on the growing side, I think of the pepper plants. That's right. Uh, me and Steve worked together for many years as, as, uh, corporate chefs for well, seven years anyways together and uh, I had an avid love for gardening um, started growing my own chilies just for my own personal use I love the the varieties and the colors and the flavors and the heat obviously so Steve uh, came on and uh, he was helping out with the um, artwork and the production of the sauces and things were going really really well and uh, we just wanted to take that big leap and we now run the farm together. We do all the growing together, all the sauce making together, um, all the collaboration and creation. It's just me and Steve from seed to bottle. What's uh, your favorite part of the growing process? Like I look at like, I think I'm a little bit more like you when it comes to what you guys do with your company, only because I prefer to be out of the kind of corporate part of it, you know, the business. I like to toss out marketing ideas, but I just also like to do something simple where I have nobody hanging over my head, which is like just growing a plant because, you know, you can focus. It's very serene and calm. You don't have anybody breathing down your throat. Yeah, well, uh, the big thing is, you know, it's almost meditative. Uh, when we get out at Her Prairie Farm here, which is where we got the name from originally, um, it's also a play on chili pepper, Hurtberry, right? But the uh, the whole thing, um, we are big on local, as you know, locally conscious. Um, we want to produce. Uh, we want to produce everything that we well grow everything that we want to put into our products. Um, not only for the nutritional value, but for color, for flavor, uh, fresh always tastes best. Plus we grow organically. So we know exactly what's going into it. We really like just being able to spend time on the farm. It's a way to, we do it while well, we were doing a lot of events, a lot of shows, a lot of public, uh, you know, um, like I said, events, and it's nice for us to be able to escape and get away. Um, we love the, the growing aspect. Chili peppers are absolutely beautiful plants to grow. And with the varieties that we do grow, um, there's lots of different, uh, they all look different. They all look different. They all taste different. They all smell different. Um, there's a lot of joy in seeing something that you've raised from a seed. Right? Well, I think a lot of people in this world, especially if you grew up in a city, aren't really going to understand what it means to really grow up on a farm or at least, you know, grow up in the, I guess, get up in the morning and really kind of be immense in beauty, I would say. I mean, I don't know how many times, like I live in a small community, but I mean, I used to go camping all the time when I was a kid, especially those mornings you wake up like right as the sun is coming up and you get to see like the fresh dew on the ground or something. And then you see like a nice little mist or fog in the air. that's just like lightly in there where you can smell it and it literally captivates all your senses, makes kind of your hair on your skin stand up. I mean, those moments, yeah. like it's, it's pure ecstasy. I would say, I mean, I... it's a, it's true escapism. Um, and we've gotten so far away from, um, nature. Um, you know, that's something that we want to try to bring uh, to the total experience of what Hurtberry Farm means. Um, for us, it's more than hot sauce. As you've probably heard Steve coin the frame, rethink hot sauce. Uh, rethink hot sauce, not just as a condiment, but as, a, um, as a, an essential ingredient. But even more than that, um, locon, which is another term that we use, which is locally conscious. It's just getting back to 
you know, the connection with nature, the connection with our food, the connection with your family, connection with your friends, um, and just taking a, a breath out of our, our, you know, sitting back, absorbing what's around you instead of being immersed in technology and, uh, you know, the constant uh, demands that life has now kind of put us all in. Um, it seems like we're just going faster and faster. And by having, you know, the farm and, and, and the connection to the land, it kind of takes us out of that and reminds us that, uh, you know, you can kind of just, you know, be yourself and be real. And it really try, it really helps you find uh, yourself in such a busy world we live in. Well, it's also like a reason why whenever you get super angry or you're really upset, they just say, take a couple of deep breaths. It's like, if you just step outside and take a couple of deep breaths, you start to realize everything slows down a little bit. Like for me, everything seems like it's going at a fast pace. Um, especially like if you want to talk about, you know, if you want to talk about being, I guess, on a farm and witnessing true beauty or something, uh, you know, there are so many experiences I could name off. And just because a lot of people aren't really going to understand that whole aspect of things. I mean, if you look at like what's happening now with the COVID virus that's going on, did anybody tell the Amish? Yeah. Did anybody bother to tell the Amish people <laughs> that there's a virus going on? No, because they had it figured out. What happened is they isolated themselves and they stuck to what they know. They didn't let technology consume them. Technology has consumed us to the point where we're not social anymore and we're not really enjoying a whole lot of stuff. I mean, I don't know how many times I've said it if someone offered me a million dollars. I would just build a log cabin in the middle of the woods somewhere because I could wake up in the morning, go out, open up my door, hear the trees, the wind, all these types of things. So running water, hopefully there's a stream nearby. I would like it. That would be awesome. But yeah. that's beauty mm -hmm. right there. That's the sound of nature. It's it's like it's it's completely different than how I wake up now where I wake up in the morning at four o'clock in the morning because my neighbor has a fucking 18 wheeler and he's starting up his 18 wheeler at four o'clock in the morning so you're just hearing like i'm like really bro like really yeah yeah and it's uh it's the rat race uh that was another reason why we left our corporate jobs um you know take starting your own business isn't uh, easy at the best of times but uh it was something that we truly felt you know, you take a loss of pay, you take a loss of benefits, you take, you just, you cut all these things out and you really get down to it. Uh, are you happy? Right. And uh, where we are now has not been an easy road so far being just a year old and um, going into our second year, our first year was very successful. We met a lot of great people, made some great connections. You know, it's been really great, but you know, you're really, when you have family members and kids and everything involved, it's, it's, a, it's a big risk. Mind you, it's calculated, but uh, you, you really, it has to be love. And, and that was the thing with Steve and I, like we're chefs, uh, true and true from, from the get-go, um, which we love food. And that's another big reason why this kind of led us into what we're doing now in terms of our, in terms of Herberry Farm and our products. Uh, we spend a lot of time uh, ensuring that uh, they're flavor forward, they're made with the best quality ingredients. Um, they're all artisan, so you're never going to get the same taste. You're going to get different aromas, and that is the difference about what we do. It's not about just pushing a product out. It's every single bottle is made with the same attention and love and care, um, and uh, that it, it, it translates into everything we do. I've heard that spoke from so many people I've talked to in the hot sauce community, like, um, you know, what David from way hot sauce, um, Jeff Levine from, uh, you know, silk city hot sauce. And then two angry cats, Josh Williams, they all express about like, it's, it is truly difficult to try and be able to create something like this and really maintain it. I mean, it's a shot in the dark, especially if you're doing anything entrepreneur wise, it's a shot in the dark. You don't know if it's going to work out. You're hoping it does, but you know, you're taking a risk too. And even when you're talking about your scenario, you're going from a chef and culinary background straight over to creating your own sauce and doing something completely different that you really have never done before, but you understand a lot of what goes into the process of it and you enjoy doing it. But for a lot of people that nobody really wants to take that risk because not having that paycheck is a scary thing. It is, um, you know, but the way we look at it, um, you know, we are very big, like I'll go back to the low con, 
mentality that we have, um, we find that there another another saying that we coined. Uh, actually, Steve did. It was um, it's amazing what you find when you're low con, and if you just spend the time. And we're so busy, you know, importing things from here and bringing things, you know, from across the world over here when we can produce it in our own countries, right? Uh, we have the methods to do it. Not only is it better for the environment, it's better for your health. And uh, it's great for the economy. Uh, you're creating jobs. Um, and uh, people really kind of latch on to that. Uh, we've, we've worked with a lot of local businesses uh, and breweries from the Second Wedge. Uh, we've worked with uh, Center and Main Chocolate, another company called Live at Night. And these are all small companies. Uh, that all share the same vision as we do. And uh, again, it's amazing what you find when you just scratch the surface and you'll see like yourself, you've done many podcasts with a lot of small businesses and companies and they, uh, you know, they, they're, they're trying to find their way as well. But we found a lot of success just in the local area um, by, you know, instead of going, uh, you know, and ordering something from somewhere else, we go into the local shops and we support the local butcher. Um, we'll go support the local restaurants. Um, we'll share a post, you know, it's a little things that you do that really kind of, it also builds community, right? And, uh, that sense of community, which is very important to us. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely needed. And, you know, we're talking about all these things people doing when it comes to, you know, producing locally, uh, getting to know their environment. It's just a lot more of a community aspect. It feels like for so long, like obviously it's easier to pay $4 or $3 for, you know, a main produce, I guess you would say corporate hot sauce, you know, like, uh, whatever you want to say, uh, forget Tabasco, you know, it's easy to pay for that because you know, it's good and you know, that's there. But honestly, even paying a little bit more for something that's like, really better and it's actually benefiting someone seems a little bit more worthy but i think just the mentality of trying to save money is a bit of a obstacle i mean even when you're owning your own business if you're trying to market a hot sauce you can't really dumb down the price a whole lot to beat the competitor because it took a lot to go into making that sauce if you're selling it at two dollars a bottle you're not really making a profit yeah it when, when with artisan products even in the you look at the craft beer industry craft beer industry in the u.s i'll use the US, u.s as an example um, it grew uh, a lot. And what happens is the larger companies see that, right? So then they'll start releasing craft, their own version of a craft beer, right? They'll, they always want to try to control the market, right? What we do at Herdberries, we don't spend a lot of time. Um, we're kind of, we've got a lot of friends in the industry and a lot of amazing sauce makers, but, and we know a few of them that follow the same type of mentality. We don't really worry about what other people are doing. Um, we, we really focus on what we want to do and what we think that our customers and our fans will enjoy. Um, we want to give them an opportunity to um, try a, a new ingredient that they've never tasted or, you know, a new experience. Even our super hot sauces are very tasty and they're not um, like an extreme or an extract pain sauce. We don't do challenge products, right? Like we do some hot stuff, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you can't taste the flavors, then why bother? That's what um, a lot of people have been saying recently with the whole hot sauce community. Everybody I've talked to, it's like, we like to do a lot with our flavors. And I'm like, that's where their marketing is because that's where your main audience is going to be. You're going to have the few that just want a sauce that's going to burn their eyes out of their head. But you know, if you're marketing to a giant public, the main thing is you want to work on flavor. And I have to ask you, what's, what would you consider you know, one of your most standout sauces to be? Well, our trifecta line um, was the three sauces that we started with. Uh, Viridescent, which is our East Indian-inspired uh, verde. Uh, that is our mildest. Our medium uh, is starless, which is a, a take on a, a mole, uh, smoky mole style. And then our, our charred threads, which is our tropical fruit hot sauce. Each of those three sauces are standalone. They also are crafted with the utmost care. Uh, for example, our viridescent is a take uh, a fusion of uh, Mexican and Indian flavors, obviously inspired from travel. Uh, we wanted to create a sauce that everybody could eat. Uh, it's the mildest sauce. It has jalapeno and serrano chili. But then we take uh, hand toasted, uh, it's toasted and hand ground garam masala and coconut milk with lots of lime zest and lime juice. So it's great on many different dishes. If you wanted to just use it topically on a curry, that would be great. But also great in a, in a whipped up quick guacamole 
you know, in your soups. Tacos, of course, are fantastic. And then our mole, uh, smoky mole starless, which is one of our most popular sauces, um, is really inspired by trips to Oaxaca in Mexico, but it also has that really deep-rooted Canadian and Ontario flavors, such as morel mushroom, chanterelle, porcini, along with the, you know, the traditional cocoa and coffee flavors, smoked authentic Mexican chilies. We use whole pods. We don't use powder. So we really take those extra steps to try to elevate those flavors. And then our charred threads, which is our tropical fruit, which is the hottest in the trifecta line. Uh, we use a habanero in there, which we grow on the farm. We use wildflower honey from the farm. We also use a locally sourced harvested saffron, uh, which is very rare and hard to find in Canada. Uh, there's a company called True Saffron out of Trent Hills, um, and they grow everything here. And uh, as you know, saffron is one of the most expensive spices in the world by weight. It, there's only three flowers, stamens per flower, or, or three stamens per flower. Um, and half a gram uh, is about 30 or 40 flowers. So you can imagine uh, the amount of work and time and effort that goes into that. And those are the type of people we like to collab with, people that love what they do, um, and you can see the passion. When we're doing our demos, um, they're very immersive, and they take quite a long time. I don't know if Steve mentioned it, but uh, we did 17 products last year from everything from preserves to pickles to, to chocolate to many varieties of hot sauce. Of course, we've got our smoked chili and bourbon infused maple syrup and our spicy nectar of the gods honey. So with this year, what we're trying to do is really try to focus on our trifecta line as well as our release of our super popular limited edition super hot series, preserves in the fall, and then a Halloween series that we do every year um, that we did last year with Live at Night that we're going to be working on as well. Would you say that on um, a lot of the traveling experience? Because I'm looking at it like you said, you were a traveler. So when you're going to all these different places and things, you're kind of taking in the culture and everything around it. Would you say you can put that into your sauce? Because you mentioned uh, just a minute ago about when you were creating that sauce, when you were trying to infuse it with the place that you went to. That's right. So uh, during the travels, um, I spent a lot of time in Mexico. Um, I love Mexico. Obviously, I started like most tourists do. They go to the resort areas of like Cancun and Mayan Riviera or even Los Cabos. So you don't get shot. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so we went there and then, uh, you, know, you know, I loved it and everything like that. It was great, but I'm not much of a resort guy. I really like to, you know, go to pyramids and temples and, and really get immersed in the culture. So I found myself asking local cab drivers or people that uh, you know weren't necessarily uh, tourist driven and say take me to any pyramids or temples that are unknown so they would take us there and then in those small communities you'd meet uh, really really friendly people um, and then that's how we learned about the uh, the different uh, the different styles of cooking and uh, the different ingredients that are very regional um, and that I wasn't familiar with. And being a chef, you get you know exposed to so many different types of ingredients. So I made a connection when I was in India um, between the Mexican food culture and just the culture in general um, in terms of you know the whole rice, the beans, the spices, the slow cooking, the family culture, the music. So we thought, let's for viridescent, let's do a Mexican. Indian infusion so that's where that came from and that worked really really well and uh, we continue to do that through a lot of our products and a lot of our limited edition sauces like Steve probably mentioned um, they're uh, usually crafted in batches of about 500 bottles and uh, the reason we do that is we're able to constantly release something new and uh, when we feel inspired or the ingredients are in season and these are not just throw together sauces they take quite a bit of planning so we're when we release a sauce we're already working on the the concept and the ideas from the name to the label to the mouthfeel all of them go into play the aroma well all those can kind of be figured out once you are figuring out what you're trying to grow or what you're trying to produce once you get the basic idea the names come you know whether it's a certain story or an experience you know once you're doing the process of making the bottle or something but when we're talking about infusing ingredients or making something taste literally where you just traveled to like making it taste like this is from mexico this is this has that feel to it this has that taste to it it's kind of important because it's literally like 
when you look at food, it's an escape for your senses. It's an escape for your taste buds. It's supposed to be a flavor change from, you know, the boring bland stuff. So when people are like, I want to throw cumin on something, it's supposed to have that little bit of a Mexican style that most cuisines have. And that's what you really want to kind of implement when someone opens up a sauce. You want to be like, if it's like Jumanji, where you open up the game board and all the animals start coming out, like you want them to, when they open up the sauce, like they're, they're transported away, like on, like on a vacation somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we understand that the, the, the most of the general public, um, they haven't really necessarily had either the travel experience or uh, the, uh, the exposure to um, different uh, types of ingredients that aren't just your essential, regular, everyday grocery ingredients. Um, and that's where we come in. Um, instead of just, you know, importing jalapenos from Mexico, uh, we grow them, right? Uh, or we have friends in the local community that we support and uh, help them out with their farms as well. And it all works really well because you can find, um, and especially when you're working with smaller farms, you're not just, you know, fields upon acres upon acres of jalapenos that are just thrown there, sprayed, you know, commercial. You, you can really taste the quality of this, the soil that these farmers have built their, their actual uh, processes that they put into it, the care that they, you know, you can go see the farmer or even at our farm, everything is hand-selected hand for quality, right? It's just not all picked and thrown and away you go, right? Okay, well then what really your, taste the difference. If I was going to ask you what's your best farming experience, like a certain memory, like I gave you a memory earlier of, you know, my experience of just waking up in the morning and getting in touch with nature, what about you? Well, uh, this might be a little bit of a, a different. I've got a few of them, but uh, one thing that uh, Steve and I did last year, which was really kind of cool, and uh, we've been doing it a little bit here and there, is really getting into wild forage. So it's not necessarily us farming it, it's nature farming it, and then just being able to uh, experience what we're surrounded by food and, and what we're taught. Like You're looking about, for hurt berries, man. Yeah, that's right. See, but, uh, me, me and Steve touched on that. I was trying to distinguish, you know, when uh, the, you see little berries on a tree, you think they're safe to eat. You know, I was always told that they were bad to eat or something. The only safe thing was like a honeysuckle. You know, I don't I know too many kids that are really enjoying a honeysuckle anymore, man. That doesn't happen. No, no. Well, well, one thing we do have on the farm, which is really neat, is we grow, uh, it just happens to, to show up, or mushrooms, right? We grow a lot of mushrooms here. Um, there's a lot of dead trees and, and, you know, things that have fallen down and, and nature as it takes it back. There's morel mushroom, pheasant back mushroom. There's a, a mushroom that we picked last year for the first time. We have friends from Wild Thought, which is a, a wild mushroom forage company. And they, uh, you know, they, they show us, we, 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 we show them the mushroom and they're like, is it edible? They, we give them a sample. They tell us if it's edible, how to use it, which is really neat. Um, you know, wild dandelion is another thing that's very edible that was, was used a lot, actually, uh, um, you know, in war times because it was a quick and easy green, very healthy. You can use the flower, you can use the root, you can use, you can roast the root, and make coffee out of it. Same with chicory, wild violet, lilac, um, stinging nettle. All of these things that we consider maybe weeds or evasive are all edible. And uh, we're, we're starting to use those types of things in our products. I wish um, I would have really grown up a little bit more near all that type of stuff because I couldn't distinguish what's the difference between like a holly bush and poison ivy because I made that mistake when I was a kid and touched fucking everything that I possibly could. So I was in a lot of pain. I don't honestly don't even know about this like one experience I had with poison ivy. Um, when I was a kid, it was either poison ivy or poison oak, but I don't know what it was, but it was the worst experience of my life trying to rub that calamine lotion all over yourself. Oh, yeah felt yeah. like it was just getting worse and worse and worse and that's like a difficult thing like especially like if you're farming and stuff how often do you come across something like that like you got to be weary of everything around you yeah uh you know um <clears throat> what we've done in terms of the farm is it's pretty cleaned up but we do have some wild areas around we are uh, aware um we are aware as possible there's obviously things like fireweed which is another one uh, there's even insects like fire ants which can can kind of burn you up pretty good with their bites a sting we just try to be more aware one thing another thing that we've tried to do is um, do our own due diligence and research um, and between me and Steve we converse uh, quite a bit about certain ideas either through a late night talk or you know whenever we get an opportunity and, and discuss like 
being in nature, the more you spend in it, the more in tune you become with it. Um, I grew up in the city, you know, so I was, uh, you know, back and forth when I was a kid, but I spent a lot more time in the city. And uh, I noticed as soon as I moved back and I, I got out of that city atmosphere, just everything started to change just the way I started thinking. And uh, I felt you more can, comfortable you in can nature. Breathe better, dude. Like my, my grandma has asthma and she lives out in the country because she can not have to need her inhaler that much when she's out there. I mean, it's a weird feeling, but when you go out there and you smell manure, it's kind of something that, you know, I'm not really used to since I'm kind of in the little city in the town. I mean, I'm, I'm right near the water. So all I smell is fresh salt water basically every mm -hmm. single day. It's an amazing thing. But yeah. When it comes to like, we went to Hawaii one time and she didn't need her inhaler the whole entire time. And that's where she plans on retiring is down there because she, that's just, she, you know, it, it, she can breathe better. And that's just because it's not a whole lot of pollution. I mean, if we look in the world today, we're constantly treating it like dog shit. I mean, well, honestly, the best thing that could have happened right now to the world is to take us out of the equation. As you see around the world, it's, uh, it seems to be healing itself a little bit. In terms well, yeah, of the, the water in Italy pollution. freaking turned clear again. And then it's like, you see all these people out taking their, their walks or whatever, just to get out of the house. So they're not going stir crazy. They're picking up trash. And I'm like, this is beautiful, but everybody's like, it's going to last forever. No, it's not. It's two weeks after this is all clear. They're going to go right back to throwing their 7-Eleven yeah. Slurpee right out the window. Well, you're seeing that in China already with, uh, which is kind of a scary thing without getting too deep into this. We'll try to keep this as light as possible. But uh, the reality is human beings, uh, it's bad to say, but we are parasites. Um, just the way we've kind of been raised necessarily i would say maybe since like the 50s or 60s um as conveniences and uh well during the wartime you know we had to ration kind of like well a, a small taste of what we are doing now but um you know back then it was like everybody had a garden everybody had to ration what they had you had this much milk it would last you the week and instead of just pouring things away or you know i can't finish my dinner i'm gonna scrape it in the garbage yeah my great-grandfather grew up in the 20s man they got a loaf of bread that could last them all week when i see him like i actually got a lot of like he eats chicken and when he eats chicken he literally takes sucks on the bone like he can probably eat some of the bone that's how i learned to eat it because just from watching him it's like waste not want not like he would put one thing on his plate puts like maybe some mashed potatoes on there and he would finish that and make sure there was nothing left on the plate like licking it clean before he went back for seconds but he would wait and he just learned i mean i wouldn't say we're exactly i mean parasite's a good word but like a fungus kind of but the only problem is we didn't take into account until like maybe the last 60 something years or something that there was another thing that's taking care of us and that's the earth I mean, we looked at it as an object, something that we can just, as long as we don't damage it too bad or something, but now we're totally realizing the damage we've done to it for really neglecting it for so long. Mm -hmm. The big thing about that, um, we did understand this at some point. Uh, we did understand and we're more in tune with, with the environment. And, uh, you know, even if you look at, uh, I don't know how much you, you are into, you know, ancient civilizations or anything I'm like that. I'm pretty interested but they, into it. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about that is um, their connection with nature and even the ability to harness the world's natural energies and energy lines. And you look at somebody like Tesla, um, Nikola Tesla, he was absolutely genius. He wanted free energy for humans. Well, you know, he was for way better than use. Thomas Edison, but the whole thing between direct current and all this other crap, the only crazy part was that Thomas Edison capitalized on so many things when it came to like, oh, Nikola Tesla, you're going to believe in him because he's married to a pigeon. It's like, hang on, hang on. You can be crazy. Mike Tyson's crazy, but you still love him because he was a, a knockout champ. Now, Nikola Tesla, you know, they did an experiment where they were going to fry an elephant in front of a live audience to see which current was better. And that's where Thomas Edison prevailed. But Nik Nikola Tesla, I mean, the Tesla coils, if I pointed out to so many people, like, look at the Tesla coils, they're like, oh, that's awesome. Like, you know where it got its name from? Nikola Tesla. And they're like, who's that? I'm like, what the, what do you mean? Yeah. How do you not know? Right. And that's a, that's the thing too, is, um, you know, the, the information that we have, we think it's free and it's open, but it's very controlled about what we actually get. Um, we, even though we think that we live in a, a free country, 
information is power, right? And if you can control the information and what's being fed, you know, um, all of these things I call like the internet, the TV, the Netflix, all these things are just distractions, A, to dumb you down, right? And uh, that's happening a lot. And because this information is here, nature has given you everything on this. The earth gives you everything that you need, everything, anything that we create, we don't need. Um, everything is already here. It's just about tapping in and, and being able to to understand how it all works. And I even believe that there was electricity, you know, thousands of years ago. I thought that I, I knew that they were able to either harness it or, you know, use it. Have you heard of the um, those vessels that they found in Iraq um, that contain wine and copper tubing? I heard um, about that. The Baghdad battery, it's called. And uh, they found that it could create charges by using the acid, which was the wine and the clay vessel and inserting copper, which they had, and then using copper wire to connect in series, all of these jars and well, they were able to create a charge and they put a battery meter up to it and it was creating a charge, right? You're, technic so. you're technically not wrong. I mean, people are going to hear what you just said about having electricity for thousands of years and be like, no way. I'm like, actually, it's right because we discovered it. The tools are here for us to discover these things. I mean, the whole idea with, you know, plants and being able to ferment some grapes or something to make wine. I mean, back in the day when they were making moonshine, it was basic things that they had to stem off from to get moonshine. And then we ended up figuring out we can use moonshine for temporary gas. Like it's, it's a whole all the basic stuff is here for us to figure out and to go after. We just have to have the knowledge to pull it together. I think the problem was at one point when we're discovering space and everything, we start finding out there's other things out there. We started to neglect here. And the problem is when the thing, the word, the Goldilocks planets came in. I don't know if you're too familiar with Goldilocks planets. Yeah. Well, yes, of course. Yeah. Like, like the soup and all that. I watch you know? a lot of soup. <laughs> But you it's know, pretty amazing stuff, man. Uh, you know, and another, another thing not to get too far off topic is, uh, you know, there's so much potential here uh, with everything in the world. But, you know, we're, we're already trying to get to Mars, you know, and that's that to me, it seems like it's not futile, but I think we need to focus what we have here. you're not you're not you wrong know? i've talked to um space ecologists people that are studying to grow plants on like mars or something i've talked to a like i've talked to one her name is morgan irons and she was telling me like that they have to work with things like that are plants like cactuses stuff that can grow in terrible harsh climates to even be able to work with anything because that you know it's it's we're not at the technology or the knowledge to be able to grow a beautiful rose on the moon or something i mean we haven't even really been up there again since we first landed on it no well that we know of right uh, that's the thing uh, but there's a lot of talk about that uh, and this is really interesting to me you know the dark side of the moon what's going on on that side Pink we only Floyd see made the an album side. about it Holy that's shit. right well you hear about the chinese government they're going up there they actually landed on the other side and you hear things you know maybe there's a re i also heard that they exploded a nuclear bomb on the on the moon that and was it, it an made, idea hold on a second that's yeah. project a119 they were, were trying to test our weaponry against Russia. We were going to be like, let's blow up the moon. Let's launch a nuke at it to show them we have nukes and stuff to not mess with us. And then some person randomly tosses in in the back like, that's going to mess up everything if you do that. We're not going to be able to study anything in space because this whole area is going to be contaminated with radiation if you do that. And then we're like, all right, I guess we could pass on it today. Yeah. But, you know, you never know. Honestly, uh, it's... There's just so much going on in terms of conspiracy theories and different ideas. And, you know, what we, that's another thing. It's a distraction, right? It's a, it's a way for uh, human beings, again, to be pulled away from nature, from being pulled away from being human, um, which we see now is, you know, around the world, especially even in our own countries, is the lack of care and love and, community and partnerships and you know working together it seems like everybody's kind of like blinders on and let's just go out and make money so we can buy a new iphone or you know a new vehicle or or whatever the newest clothes the newest perfume cologne right 
Where do you think the mess up was in our time period? I'm starting to look at like the industrial age. It's lazy. It's laziness. Like, it's laziness. Well, and, uh, there's there was a turning point, like a fork in the road type scenario through our American history. Once we started discovering more things, like once we got to the Bronze Age, where we started to deal with a lot of my favorite things, like um, ancient Greece, when it comes to Romans and Greeks, it seems like that's when we stopped giving two shits about the earth. Like if you look at something like the Mayans or another Indian tribe, they always had the mindset to care for what they were living on i mean creating rituals using the sun but they got out of uh you know i spent a lot of time i got a lot of uh, knowledge on uh, ancient mayan and aztec and, and mesoamerica the the thing that a lot of people think that the, the mayans downfall and in the mesoamerica was mass production of food right um you know clear-cutting uh forest that has been there forever that has created this thin layer of usable soil and when you remove the trees it happens in the rainforest too you can't grow anymore right and and they were burning trees in order to create um materials to for their buildings for their temples right the limestone so you know that's the thing when we throw that balance off where we're taking and not returning uh everything's about balance you know in our lives our relationships and uh, even like I say everything in moderation, right? But you have to give back. And I feel that's what we do too. And it's a full circle here back to uh, the ideas that we have at Herberry Farm is, uh, you know, is about, you know, putting things back. We feed our soil. We don't feed our plants. And that's a big thing for us here is, uh, you know, understanding that if you feed your soil, your soil will feed your plants. And a lot of people are like, I need to feed my plants. No, you need to feed your soil, right? Uh, and that's the uh, the difference, um, what's going on. Uh, a lot of people too are like, oh, it's the cows that are creating all this methane gas and all these problems. It's it's not necessarily that. It's, uh, you know, it's it's the giant massive farms. The regular farms around here, they, the sustainable methods they do, the the, the how they treat their animals um even down to the slaughtering they're not just like in lineups of cows going in for slaughter right like it, it's we've just gotten away from it because we just want to mass produce everything has to be like okay we need a lot right well, instead of just picture, getting by with what we need right if you picture a home being like gloves for your hands i much rather work without gloves only because i like to feel the dirt in my hands i like to be connected i like that feel of that texture that's the one sense i cherish more than all of them is my sense of touch because that puts things in a real aspect but we've lost that connection with homes we've lost that connection with so many things at least most people have you know farmers they're still out there and obviously they have the tools and the things to make the job easier but it's also the same you have to respect where you're from i mean now where you go by a farm you don't smell manure anymore it's very very no. strange it's because yeah when we say caring about the plant it's so easy to make a commercial selling a fertilizer saying it's going to make your plants grow 10 times bigger 10, and it's just artificial stuff. Why don't we just go back to the basics? Cause that's what's worked and that's, what's always going to work. Mm -hmm. We're finding a lot more farmers now, um, which is a really cool thing. It's me and Steve actually watched a really cool documentary on it. I think it's called sustainable. And uh, the interesting thing is you're finding a lot of, well, not only the fact that we're not getting a lot of younger people involved, um, it's generally the older generation that were farming, not only out of necessity, but it was something that they, their forefathers did, and it was just passed through. Well, the younger generation now, they're just not really interested in it, right? And uh, that's another thing we want to bring up. You know, it, it, it's really fun, and it's very rewarding. And uh, people are growing multiple crops now and smaller areas than just growing fields of corn, you know, fields of GMO corn, right? No, now we're growing, you know, 10 or 20 different varieties of crops uh, in our small little area. And we're able to get more money for that versus these massive amounts of monoculture, right? Where they're growing one variety. The biggest things here in Canada are soy, corn, and potato, right? There are three largest crops, well, wheat as well. And, uh, you know, we're starting to see a lot more change. Uh, even when you go to the grocery store or the farmer's markets or anything like that, you're seeing such a variety of color. And, and it's really, really amazing to see how the food industry is changing now. It's kind of crazy, too, because of all the diet trends. It kind of changes up, you know, what's in the market for certain things. But 
with this whole farm to table type act that we're now learning about and stuff, I think that's going to increase the rate of people that are going to start creating their own crops or look to buy more local farmed type of things. I mean, if you look at like my school, for instance, when I was in high school, um, it's probably completely different than what it is now. We had a thing called Redneck Row, and that was a bunch of rednecks, people wearing camo jackets, you know, the steel toed boots, the whole nine yards, blue jeans, dip in the back pocket. Um, they parked <laughs> all along the back row. But I guarantee to you that maybe two out of those 30 rednecks in that group were actual farmers that were actually yeah. going there that woke up in the morning, you know, got to, had to do a bunch of chores, had to do something before they went to school. Everybody else just wore the camo. And yeah, the agriculture program in our school was just there was five or six people still in it, like, you know, that were still yeah. kind of sticking with it. I think now um, we, we've been prioritizing teaching kids about technology so much. I think people are going to start to get sick of it and they're going to start to learn more things about agriculture and getting in touch with things. I mean, half the time I'm rarely on my phone just because it's a pain in the ass to deal with. It doesn't fit in my yeah. pants. I don't care for it. Mm -hmm. uh, you're right about that. Uh the thing is, uh, another big thing is, again, it's like farmers. Uh, we have a few friends, well, quite a few friends now, but they grew up on a farm. So they got up in the morning and they had to do chores before they did anything else. I think that type of structure is a really good way to, to bring up your kids and, 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 you know, to have that type of thing. Because I hear so many parents now with younger kids especially in the generations as they go forward, they are zombied. Their lack of education uh, is, and attention span is very limited. What the uh, hell we is an apple? That's right. Or lemon. We had a kid ask us in the kitchen what a lemon was. Really? Which was shocking. I, all yeah. right, see, I would suspect the answer like – uh, here's a lemon oh you mean what they make out of candy it's like okay you're close you're you're kind of there yeah no uh we've had it, it was really shocking even like you know cursive is something they don't really teach anymore in school um not like that's really super important Hold on. they stopped teaching that and when i was in school and like uh i think it was like kindergarten or something they stopped on the letter z they were like all right we're just gonna not teach it anymore i'm like hang on i just went 23 letters in or whatever how many letters are in the alphabet you're gonna stop at the very last one they're like yeah, yeah you don't need it ever well i don't i forgot there's like a I, it was like maybe a couple months ago i had to write something in cursive and it started with a z or something and i was like i don't know I don't know. I don't know what you want me to do here. My signature is dog shit. Yeah. And uh, like around the world, they still do it. And uh, I don't know what happened, but we, we started to get this mentality. Uh, we have more. We have more material items that we're way better. Like It's that whole superiority complex. Uh, I know we see it in North America, um, but when you go to other countries, the – the sense of happiness that you see in the, the most impoverished people um, is amazing. And all they want to do is go to school. They just want to learn. And uh, homeless they can't people, even dude. homeless yeah. people are the most grateful people I've ever met in my entire life. I actually don't even call them homeless people. I call them expert minimalists because they got it figured out. They understand that like, you know, you don't need a whole lot of possessions and things. They're just enough to survive off of. I think what happened was when we became desensitized to what we're living on, we also became desensitized to people. And that's where you're seeing like when a body hits a critical state or when something critical happens to us, like a terroristic attack or a virus, for instance, we start to realize, oh, shit, this is real. We all need to care and we need to fix this now. But then once things start getting better, we start to lose grasp of fixing it. And then we just continue back into our old ways because, oh, we're safe. We can do it again. That's right. It's the whole not as long as it's not me mentality. Right. Um, that's a lot of people. Uh, you, you see it a lot. And I worked for an uh, uh, homeless shelter when I was in my teens, just as a volunteer. And uh, wasn't that ever an eye opener because you see it on TV, you see it on the street, but when you're actually talking, conversing and sharing a meal with somebody who's homeless, uh, they're no different than you are. You know, they're actually, like you say, very, uh, you know, intelligent in terms of survival and, and, and dealing with, you know, things are constantly changing. There is no stable stability. You know, every day is different. It's all about survival. And, and that's what it's like in most of the world. Uh, three quarters of the world. Uh, we talk about COVID-19. Well, 
what are we talking about starvation? You know, we have the ability to feed everybody on this planet now, you know, uh, but we're spending millions upon millions of dollars on, you know, the military or sending, you know, people to Mars or flying a, a satellite past Pluto, you know, like, in all honesty, like, if we just took the time to work on Earth, you know. <laughs> well, I don't even know, like, where it's at in Canada, if you if you have this thing. But when I was a kid, there was a thing called catching fireflies. You know, you put a whole bunch of them in a jar. I'm not going to lie to anybody out there. I did kill a few um, in the process of putting them in the jar. Then at the same time, nobody ever told me you got to poke holes in the jar. So I basically sucked so they can breathe. <laughs> yeah, so I do feel bad about that. I still, you know, think about them every now and again. Um, but when we talk about like looking at fireflies, I don't see any anymore. It's gone. Like, and I, I, you know, you don't want to be, when we look at things that I guess give us power or give us entitlement, like, um, a car, a suit, they give this thing. We make assumptions as people that that person's probably wealthy. That person has this. And you look at a homeless person and you think of what you were saying, things you see on TV, things you would see in a movie, like, the, oh, he's talking about aliens. He's wearing a tinfoil hat, all this type of stuff. No, I bet you he has a story to tell. And I bet you he has some information that he's got from observations of things. I mean, when they say knowledge is power, knowledge is in observing. Knowledge is in yeah. watching and not making a move and just noticing everything that's going on around. I've learned that from doing this podcast, listening to so yeah. many people and conversating with so many people. Gathering information through other people's eyes is one of the key things. And make sure you find your own beliefs. You know, it becomes a problem with media as well. I mean, we sit there and we take what someone else is saying and take for it as fact. I'm like, no, just take it into account what they're saying. Take into account your own thoughts as well. How do I feel about this? Do I should I believe in that or should I do this? Yeah, you know what the great thing about podcasts, and that was something that Steve kind of turned me on to. Uh, he started listening to the podcast, and he was like, "Oh, Drew, you got to get into podcasts." And I was like, "I." It's like I couldn't. I I wasn't. I didn't have the ability to to focus on it. Uh, I I find that a lot now too. Like I started reading since this whole uh, quarantine thing. I always read, but you know, like it was. I'm more of a doer. Like I like to be hands-on a lot of things, but when I started reading and I was like, wow, I'm actually like taking this in and understanding it. And, you know, it wasn't just like skipping through pages. I was actually reading everything. And, and that's the great thing about podcasts is because it's just, it's literally conversation and it's, there's no distraction with lights and flashing lights and, you know, quick images. And you're really able to get into, you know, conversation. And I think that's lacking nowadays um that's that one-on-one -on -one kind of conversation like you're literally you're really you're explaining everything i have to say to so many people when they message me what's the script i'm like there is no fucking script we're gonna talk. yeah yeah like just two people right yeah it's uh this is i said a lot like i was saying to my wife there's a lot of good things that are as bad as this is uh you know there's a lot of good things that could potentially come out of this just like anything you can you can take any bad experience and, and flip it and turn it into something positive it's all about perspective and uh how you take it well like, optimism, we've all made right mistakes. like a, like, right. A, like a glass half full or is it a glass empty you know that whole mm -hmm. thing it's all about it's not easy to do it's, it's uh, dude, I make the problem of doing it all the time. I always say yeah. like when I talk to have a conversation like I've had one with you, I'm energized. I feel pumped up. I'm like, wow, there's people doing some awesome stuff out there. I think everybody's got their own fix. Everybody's got their own thing they're super interested in and passionate about. But then I go yeah. out to the world and I'm seeing some dude flick off another person trying to fight him because, you know, something in the grocery store. I'm just like, man, it's like it's hard to see the greatness in mankind and assume that everybody's like, OK, and everybody's like, OK, to talk to but there's so much hate there's so much competitiveness oh, out in this world you're oh. like fuck I, I hate to say it but like look at the simple things like toilet paper I don't even get me it. started on that like dude. Just i have an intestinal an example, disease right and yeah. toilet paper is not on the shelves you know how hard it is to shower every time you have to go yeah i can only imagine man but like that just shows human nature and uh and these are the people that are going to your face. Oh yeah, like we need to work together. And then, and then you know, you you're like, huh? 
You know, like they're sitting there holding up paper towel and their social media and like it's a prize. I did get crap the other you know? day for it because our, our Walmart opens up on Tuesdays for um Tuesday. Shout out Tuesday. Um but uh they <laughs> they only open up an hour earlier for older people. So yeah, seniors, seven. yeah. Yeah, the seniors will go in there at six. I think that's amazing. But I rolled up at like six thirty and I wanted to go in only because I had to shit really, really bad. And the, I was making a bit of a fuss about it. And he's like, really? You don't want to let the older people go in first? I'm like, dude, I don't care. They could take everything on the shelves. I don't care. I got I to gotta, I gotta drop this load, man. Yeah. Yeah, I got to make, make a drop off immediately, right? Right. Yeah. I don't know. It, you know, that could – and that's the thing. I've separated myself a lot from the news. In Canada here, we have the prime minister every morning. He comes on and, uh, you know, he's by himself. You know, he's social distancing because uh, – his wife uh, was confirmed uh, with COVID, uh, so he's been separate, right? But, uh, you know, you see him, and he's separate every morning. He comes on. He gives kind of the country what's going on. There's a really good, uh, you know, in terms of small businesses, he's giving money to them. He's helping out. That's really good. You know, that's a good thing. And uh, no offense, but, you know, you turn on the news, and you look at what's going on in the U.S., and you see seven, eight people all together up there, but yet you're preaching – social distancing so it's very confusing and i think a lot of people are trying to navigate and find their way um a lot of our business is kind of slowed down because we do we do depend on vendors and stores and you know events and everything like that uh, yeah, but instead canceled, of just, you can't get your product out there that's I mean, right so i don't take any offense of that for the u.s i'm just saying like the u.s is i mean we're we're wrong here i mean we're we're trying to recover in so many ways but it's like this thing has to run its course it's just going to happen you can shut down everything it's not going it's going to decrease i guess the rate that it's trying to go at but it's not going to kill everything we left in one part we forgot to shut down something um in our state uh, like the bridges to come over here and a bunch of tourists came over here and 28 of them were confirmed infected with covd or covid whatever you want to call it it yeah. came over here and they spread it next thing you know we got over 300 something cases in our state now and now they're everybody's freaking out like not leaving the house wearing surgical masks that's not protecting you from shit it's gonna no. happen if it happens it just you're randomly gonna pick it up those masks aren't gonna do anything yeah to you. I mean, yeah, they say they say 30, uh, 30 to 70 percent of our population will have it. Um, they're expecting um, a huge jump now uh, from a couple thousand cases to over 80,000 cases this month. So that's pretty scary. You know, the big thing is uh, it, follow the follow, you know, be smart. You know, don't don't go into high places unless you absolutely need to. And, uh, you know, stay home, stay home is the best way to not spread it. And I, I could carry it right now and not know it, but I could pass it on to somebody. It's the whole chain effect. Right. And this isn't going to stop one day where it's going to be like, okay, you know, all of the virus is gone. It's never going to be gone. It's yeah. always going to be there. It's going to be years. So we're just going to, it's going to be the new normal as everybody's calling it. Right. And, and even like, you know, what, what are some of the benefits of that? Well, you know, you're going to go to the grocery store. Things are going to be cleaner. You know, things are going to be more organized. Um, so there is a lot of benefits that are coming out. The medical system now will know that they have to be prepared for this. You know what I'm predicting is going to happen? I predicted this giant thing happening maybe about a year or so ago when I first started this thing. I talked about like it takes a terroristic attack for people to get together. But when I'm when I'm talking about what I think is going to happen, and it's just a it's a little curiosity thought. They're going to create a cure, and then it's going to turn into I am legend. All those people get the cure, and they turn into those smart ass zombies that come out at night. That's what it's going to be. So when that cure comes out, I'm like, I'm good, bro. I'll let the other people get it first. Let me just see well, that. Well, this might scare some people, and I'm not about fear mongering but uh you know whether or not you believe in the bible or whatever i believe that every story every legend every myth there is truth rooted in it and it's been a story that's been passed on that's been evolved you know but originally in there there was some honest truth you know even in the bible they talk about seeing spaceships and whatever we we could turn that into seeing spaceships but whatever it could have been a natural occurrence something in the environment who knows but the thing is that they talk about it, we always talk about those, the mark of the beast. And we're already starting to see these types of things happening uh, in terms of microchipping, um, you know, people putting microchips under their skin 
um, in order to have all their banking information. Justin Timberlake made a fucking movie about it. Like, come on. That's right. Well, it's in in Switzerland. They're doing it now. People are are actually, uh, you know, signing up to get this done. Oh, it's so much more convenient, right? You get all your medical information. It's a control thing. So one thing they talked about with this virus uh, and that's coming into play is the vaccination where they're going to start making it mandatory that you need to have this vaccination. If you don't have the vaccination, they're going to put a bracelet on you that's going to say you have been unvaccinated and that if you want to travel anywhere out of state, out of town, anywhere, across borders, fly anywhere, they'll scan that that chip or that bracelet and see your medical history. You know, is this guy safe? You know, like you go to, you go to get groceries, you know, like, or buy a house, they'll have all that information and they can just scan it. It's also going to have like GPS on it. So they're going to be able to track and monitor you anywhere. They have microchips so small that they can literally shoot it through a needle and it will go into your body. And, uh, you know, they have cameras that are small enough that can travel through your veins. It's like back it's in the day scary. when they were baby chipping babies. Uh, they were putting those chips in the back of babies' heads to be able to find them. And it was like, an, it was an episode on like this show called iCarly. I remember freaking the kid, he was hearing a beeping noise in his head and his mom was tracking him. And he was like, does anybody else hear that beeping noise? And I'm like, that would scare the living shit out of me if people want to chip their baby or do something like that to be able to know where they're at 24-7. I feel like that's too much control. I mean, I understand it from a parent aspect, but when the world starts coming to a point where we're being tracked and all our information is in a little device in our skin or in our bodies, that's too much for me. I don't like all that. We, are, we essentially carry a chip right now. It's called your cell phone. Um yeah, we but just it's don't outside have it in our body. my body. That's, that's right. That's but, the difference I like. But but most people carry that on them 24-7, right? Um, that's the thing. Like right? you can try it's just like tracking your iPhone, right? Oh, I lost my iPhone. Okay, well, here here it is, right? So it's it's just a step. And I think it's just getting people comfortable right now. Comfortable with all, with having all their information on their phone, comfortable about having this. So that when it comes to the point of, okay, well, now we can put this in your body. Or you even see those tattoos that people are having now, which are, you know, essentially a uh, phone on your skin. Like you can type on your arm, you know, and uh, there's a lot of crazy things that are going on out there nowadays. People are, it's like, even when you look at scientific movies, you know, even back in the day when they were like, they flew to the moon in those old black and white early 1900s movies. Everything that they come up with, it seems like they're preparing us for something that's going to happen in the future. Like, for example, War of the Worlds or, you know, Armageddon, that movie, uh, you know, where they're talking about, oh, yeah, we'll just land a bomb, a nuclear bomb on this asteroid that's coming towards Earth. It's going to happen, you know, like, and, you know, even Jurassic Park, you know, bringing back the DNA. They're doing it now. They're, they're you know, created a, supposedly they created a woolly mammoth. Yeah. That's you know? a Playatorian park. That's going to be featured in Russia. It's like over 65 something miles of straight, like um, it's going to be an enclosure for these recreated clones of woolly mammoths. Science fiction, science fact, man, you know, and uh, if I had to ask you, what's one movie that you've seen, whether like you named off Jurassic park or all these Terminator type movies, what's one that you think is more likely going to happen than the other. I'm not saying you believe in it. I'm just saying, which do you think would be, I would rather take dinosaurs than fighting fucking Arnold, whatever, you know, I I don't want Terminator. No, no. Well, that's happening down too. You see some of the robots that they're releasing and Reagan made an administration on it. It's called the center for existential risk. They get paid over $50 million a year. It's like four people working there and they're just monitoring all the advances in technology, making sure it doesn't come to the point where Skynet takes over. Have you seen the Manchurian candidate? I have. There's one right there. That is as real as it can get. And they've actually used this. Uh, They've used it before in terms of C I'm sure the CIA, uh, in Russia, any type of, uh, you know, secret uh, kind of military uh, where they have the ability through hypnosis um, to basically stay. And, and hypnosis is a real thing, man. And, uh, you know, you say a word or you play a sound or play a music 
and it automatically clicks your brain into going to kill somebody, you know, and then they wake up after and they're like, what well, did I do? We've done that you know? before. They're called sleeper agents. We did that with MK ultra. That's right. Yeah. I studied all about MK ultra. I mean, the whole world, it's really, really topsy turvy. And I think as people, we kind of need to work together to understand that, you know, we're going to be end up taken advantage of the same way by something higher than us at one point, um, the same way we've taken advantage over the earth. I think if we all start to come together, and I guess, pay attention to more detail, like being actually awake in the moment, rather than just scrolling through your phone mindlessly, you're going to have a little bit better working system right now. We're like a machine with pieces falling off. Uh, yeah. You, you hear about, uh, you know, how human beings only use 10% of their brain, right? Yeah, and then we use more of it when we're sleeping, right? Because we're not getting the distractions and different parts of your brain. Uh, the more that we use certain parts of our brain, the more that our brain technically rewires itself to focus on those types of things. But then you hear about people that are blind, they're they're deaf, they they have no sense of taste, all their other senses get heightened. Well, I believe before all the distraction and the ancient civilizations, they had the ability to harness uh, things like telepathy uh being telepathic or um you know having that extra sense of uh, aura being able to see people's auras have you seen that before when they show a picture of a leaf and you can actually see the aura of the leaf and different plants give off different colors of aura and yeah. and all these ancient cultures like in india and everything they talk about aura and colors and chakras and and the third eye you hear about that your pineal gland and how we've calcified things like and our toothpaste with the fluoride and everything and our drinking water these are all things that calcify that pineal gland that, uh, you know, which is very important in things of intuition and, and communication. And, you know, there's just so much out there right now. And I think as bad as this is going on right now, um, I think a lot of these things uh, we're starting, like I know myself, it's, the first week was, was like a fear, you know, I was afraid. And uh, now it's like, okay, well, I have the tools to know what not to do. So now I can kind of relax a little bit and know that, you know what, we're all, we're, it's not just our country, it's the whole world that's in this. So maybe this could be a, a dawn of a new awakening, you know, for the human species. I'm hoping it is. Yeah, it's definitely going to be some changes. I don't know how long they're going to last after it's over, but uh, yeah, right I don't now, have much faith in the human, <laughs> human race. Yeah, I know we're going to revert. I mean, I've been hit by a jet ski, almost died. And let me tell you, for the first two weeks after that happened, I was all about loving life and enjoying every moment and never taking anything for granted. And then I lost that after two weeks. So I think it's going to be the same exact thing here. Hopefully, you know, it maybe might impact us a little bit to the point where it actually sticks in for a little bit longer, at least get a little bit grounded to, you know, how we were as people at one point, maybe wake up a couple of us. I think it's already kind of done that. But I mean, at mm. least even in these tough times, like you, I appreciate you for coming out and doing the podcast too. I mean, yeah, yeah, no sweat. Uh, again, it's uh, you know, it's all about uh, uh, we're finding more and more, you know, that conversation, that human interaction is something that people are definitely going to be craving in these types of situations. Um, and I really had a great time uh, talking to you today, Rob. I really appreciate you reaching out and uh. You know, in terms of the the business, is navigating, and uh, you know, for every door that closes, instead of just giving up, there's still that drive to, you know, how do we make this work? And that's something that's reiterate reiterated through all of our products at Herberry, and 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 running a company, literally started from one seed, from one tiny little pepper seed. Uh, this whole company has grown, uh, literally. Uh, way bigger than we'd ever thought it would um, and to see that we've changed a lot of people's perspective not just on hot sauce which is really in our business but uh, in growing peppers but just about how they interact and, and, and think and and eat and grow and you know converse and share and collaborate it's all connected and it's a big web and uh, we're glad to be part of that and being able to share um, that's the biggest thing at the end of the day is the satisfaction you feel when you've shared knowledge with people. Um, we had a, a few events, speaker series planned where we'd go in and discuss, you know, how to grow chilies, how to make hot sauce. And that was something we were really looking forward to. Uh, it wasn't like a financial thing or anything. It was just that we were able to share the knowledge 
And uh, again, we'll go back to knowledge is power and uh, not just power in terms of like uh, ruling over anybody. That's what we think power means is having, being a leg up on somebody. It's getting everybody on the same plane, you know, and, and, and giving those tools of knowledge to everybody you know, and, and sharing. And that was, I think like, you know, you go back to looking at the punch, like the whole Atlantis myth where I think they all had that. Everybody was the same, you know, like I think everybody had that access to free information, free energy, um, you know, free food, free technology. And I think technology is a great thing, but we just need to do it in a way that it, it you know, it doesn't hurt the world we live in. Everything in moderation. Yeah. Well, I really right. appreciate you um, doing the podcast, Drew. Why don't you go ahead Thank and you. Uh, plug your farm, plug everything where people can find your awesome work. Great. Well, Steve and I would love to invite you to rethink hot sauce, not just as a topical condiment, but as an everyday elevated cooking ingredient and pantry item. You can find us at www.hurtberryfarm.com. You can also find us at Instagram. Uh, sorry, www.instagram backslash at Hurtberry Farm Inc. www.instagram at Hurtberry Farm East. And also through our Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Hurtberry Farm. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.